I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning and welcome to the KSL Greenhouse. We'll be taking your calls in just a minute. The phone lines are open at 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions at 57500. Good morning, Ton. Good morning. I'm excited to talk about upright sedum. It's often ignored. It is, and it's actually one of those perennials that it just is a sleeper, and it looks fine when it's in your garden, and then it starts to bloom through September and October, and it really creates a lot of interest when other things are winding down. It's a very pretty plant. I've, I was mentioning to you earlier that it's in my water-wise. I have a bunch of succulents and, and these I have planted behind the succulents because they're taller, upright sedums. And I haven't noticed if mine have started blooming yet, but they are pretty. They have really, really a pretty lime green leaves. They stems. do. And there's, there's several varieties. Some of them are straight green. Some of them are lime green. Some of them are kind of a burgundy red. Oh, with a darker red flower on them. So there's several varieties of these available. And it just, I guess, what determines what you plant is just what looks pretty to you and which ones are going to serve you best for, you know, the color scheme in your flower beds. Right, right. Um, I like these just because they really are, they're that lime green. So it's just not, it feels like everything's green in the yard, right? And these kind of stand out a bit. They do. And, you know, we keep saying water-wise, and when we say that, I don't want to suggest that they look like something out of the West Desert or driving through Nevada on I-80. They're actually quite pretty, very succulent, and they work really well in areas that you can't water a whole lot. They want to be watered once established every couple of weeks, and they're perfectly happy. Right. I think the variety of things that you can buy now that are succulents or that are water-wise has really changed. It used to be you could just find a few succulents, and they were all the hens and chicks. And and that has really changed. So if you haven't really explored some of the things that you can plant, water-wise is not a bad thing. Water-wise, it can be extremely beautiful. It can be very beautiful, and there's several ways you can approach water-wise. If you like the minimalist look of, say, a desert scape, you can do that. And, you know, you can use things appropriate. But if you like a cottage garden or an English garden, you can plant those so that you'll use 30 to 50 percent less water 
than a, a current kind of old-fashioned traditional landscape. Yeah, and last year when we started seeing, you know, some restrictions on water, that is really huge because you don't want everything in your flower beds, in your yard to die. You want a unique look that's going to really live in our climate. You really do. And when you use water-wise plants, they will help savor water. And I don't know, for me personally, you know, I haven't watered my yard in two and a half weeks and it's Mm -hmm. still perfectly green. Wow. And it just, it gives me a sense of accomplishment accomplishment (laughs) and self-satisfaction that I haven't used water that long and things are looking fine, but these water-wise areas are becoming more and more important. Now, the sedums we're familiar with probably more of the ground cover types that we can use in these same water-wise situations, but there's this whole group of upright sedums that are just really pretty and they're one of the best fall blooming perennials out there that we can grow in Utah. Okay, so the question is what conditions do they like? We know about the water, but do they need full sun? They want full sun between six and eight hours of sunlight a day. And once they're established, so getting them established, you'd water them two or maybe three times a week, just checking the soil to make sure it's not too wet. And then after a year to two years, every couple of weeks, they're perfectly happy if you irrigate six inches to maybe a foot. And then if you have clay soil, they'll tolerate it as long as they have some drainage. And so you might want to, in your flower bed, mound up the soil a bit to get them above grade. Mm -hmm. And that will help out quite a bit. But they do well in low-nutrient, gravelly, and sandy soils, Mm. but they do fine in loamy clays and things as long as you don't overwater them. Sometimes when we plant things that are more upright, we are worried that they're going to be floppy. How are these on the floppiness scale? They aren't. If you overwater them, they can be a little floppy, but they have really thick stems and succulent leaves. And I've not personally grown them in my yard, but I've planted them and observed them over years, and they rarely split out like mums do. Okay. So mine are fairly young. How large do they get? Over time, depending on the cultivar, they can get anywhere from 18 inches high and wide to a couple of feet, two to three feet high and wide. Okay. Okay. I'm glad I gave them plenty of space. Three feet's a little optimistic. I would say more closer to two Maybe a little over two This feet is long. where your spacing when you're planting becomes extremely yes. important. So I have three and I've planted them. They're, they're two or three feet apart, so I think they should be they're okay. They're perfectly fine and they'll yeah. barely touch each other as they mature. And these are ones you have to plan for a little bit because they're not instant gratification. And to reach that two to two and a half feet high and wide is going to take them three or four years. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Mine seem really small for having been planted Probably a year and a yes, half, two years ago. But they they will grow. Okay. There are a few dwarf varieties out there that get up to about a foot, but those are fairly uncommon. Okay. Anything we have to watch out for on these? They're pretty disease and pest resistant. I you know, in situations slugs maybe, but where you grow them, slugs are far less likely to be. It's just you the it's just one of these plants that you can pl- install in your yard and they seem to be happy. Okay, and I think you're right. We're going to put an article up on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page 
the pictures really do not do these plants justice. Yeah, maybe Michelle can pull some stock photos of them that look better. Because I looked at seven fact sheets on this mm-hmm. yesterday, and all of them just don't show the beauty of the plant. You'd almost be like, oh, they have a face for radio, but <laughs> they are actually beautiful plants. And we'll see if Michelle can find something a little bit and hopefully more polished than what's in the fact A little sheet. bigger. I can post some pictures too. Yeah. And maybe if they actually bloom this year, which I'm going to assume they are. Hopefully they do. Years, um, I'll take some pictures okay. so you can see actually how pretty these plants are. Mm-hmm. Okay, anything else we need to know about these? They're no. pretty available. Yeah, they're very available. You can get them throughout the entire growing season. They seem to work well planted through September. So it's just they're one plant that if you have drier areas and need something to establish, they're ones that I would very much consider. Yeah, I'm pretty certain I have the Autumn Joy when, you know, and that's the most famous days. one. It was a perennial plant of the year several years ago, and so it's the most common in commerce, but there are several others. Yeah, I like how this article talks about the different varieties. One last thing on them mm-hmm. is that they attract a lot of pollinators in mm-hmm. when there's not a lot of flowering. And so if you have a pollinator garden and are gardening for beneficial insects, this is one that you definitely need to use. Okay. And you can find an article on the KSL Greenhouse page. Again, these are great fall bloomers. And I was going to say something else. Oh, shoot. Oh, I was going to say, um, I was talking about how I put this in my succulent garden. We do have videos on the succulent garden that I put together that you can see, as well as the fairy garden. So you can check those out on YouTube. They're easier to find on YouTube on the KSL Greenhouse channel. We're going to be back with your calls and questions. Phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. You can text us, 57500. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you, taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Our first texter of the morning, Ton, would like to know how to get rid of ants in the grass. Oh, I thought they were going to say Do ants. we have to? Not in I, your We pants. won't go. I know where yes, you're going ants on this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's difficult. You can try things like the raid and black flag sprays, and that will knock them back. But you need to be able to kill the queen so that she stops laying eggs, and that will destroy the colony. And so there's a few different approaches you can take. The raid and black flag are instant gratification, but the colonies will keep coming back after a week or two. And so the next 
step is to find something that they like to feed on. And with fall coming, they're much more likely to feed on baits and things than they would in the spring because they're trying to store energy and nutrients and things to survive the winter. And, but you may need to find a couple of different kinds of baits. And so there are sugar-based baits and fatty-based baits that, depending on the ant species, they'll take one of the two. And you would have to set those somewhere near the nest and watch to see if they prefer one or the other. The toxins in these baits, they're generally manufactured to keep them away from pets and kids, but when they make it into the nest, it can take up to a week to maybe 10 days to kill the queen. And so you need to be patient, but all of a sudden you will see that the colony just has diminishing numbers of ants and then it's gone. And so that's the registered way to do it in certain situations. You know, if it's on the side of the lawn or something, you may kill some grass, but people will resort to a pot of boiling water and you have to have a good quantity, a gallon of it or so, to pour over the nest so that it penetrates six inches to a foot deep into the nest. So my question is, is it necessary to get rid of ants in your grass? Only if they're a nuisance. You know, I have several times been wearing shorts and either mowed or weed whacked an ant nest. And even if they're just the common black ants, Mm -hmm. you spray those all over your clothes and your legs. And the terms ant, the term ants in your pants, I've experienced that several times (laughs) and you can't get into the garage fast enough to get those pants off and brush them all off. And you'll have little stings all over your legs. And so If they're in the back corner of the garden and really not hurting anything, ants, one of their benefits is that they naturally aerate soil. And as their colonies drift and things, they will those, all the tunnels and things they make collapse, but the soil's aerated. And so I'm not a big fan of just killing them because they are there. It's only on an as-need situation. If you've got little kids or you're somehow allergic or you cannot mow your lawn because of the mounds, those are the situations where I would consider controlling the ants. So otherwise they're more beneficial. They are beneficial. They sometimes are predators. You know, they will feed on a whole list of different things. And one thing I'd encourage people to look into, though, is there are certain species of ants that I would get rid of. And those would be the wood um, feeding ants. What, what Now it slips my mind the name of them. But there's a whole, there's six species of ants that live in rotting logs. And if you have rotting wood in your home from leaks from your pipes or something, they can get in there and make the situation a lot worse. Mm. And so you need to be careful of those and be familiar with them. But general black ants, I just leave them alone unless they're really causing a nuisance. All right. Good to know. Marilyn is on the line. And Roy, good morning, Marilyn. What can we help you with? Hi. I was given a tell lily plant uh, for a funeral. I brought it home. I'd like to know, do those grow here? Are they perennials um, or annuals? And how do I take care of it? Well, you have what I guess could be referred to as probably a florist's calla, and it needs to be yeah. grown as a house plant. But 
in the spring, you can find callas that are marginally hardy. They're hardy down to a zone seven, but people will plant them in protected areas of their yard. And I've talked to a number of people that have overwintered callas for three or four years outside, but it has to be the right species. Oh, okay. This just says a meal grow uh, calla lily. Yeah, and if it came from Smith's or Walmart or a florist shop, it's not going to be cold hardy outside. So can I overwinter it in the house and plant it? Uh, I mean, I would leave it in a pot and not plant it in the soil. And that way, because it's an evergreen tropical plant and it wants to be grown as a house plant, but you could transition it outside. And as long as you have a plant, you know, a pot big enough for it, that would be fine. But I, unless you want to just grow it as an annual, I wouldn't plant it in the soil outside. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. If you look up online, Hardy Calla Lily, it'll list the species and you can order those. And I say this term loosely bulbs to plant in the spring, but okay. um, that's what I would do if you're really interested in them. And, you know, just treat this one as something that might give you some, you know, you're, you're kind of mourning the loss of the person. Um, look at it as something as maybe just a, act of kindness and grow it for a while. They're, they're not hard to take care of indoors as long as they're off to the side of a window or something, but they're just the florist species or the houseplant species are not meant to overwinter here. If, if you're in San Diego or Los Angeles or, you know, even South Texas, it probably would do fine, but not here. Okay. So um, the flowers have died. Do I, is this something that will produce flowers once? Like if I it will, it or whatever. Yeah, if you re if you take care of it and get it off to the side of a window, door it's getting indirect sunlight and you're turning it once a week, snip those flower heads out, just deadhead them, leave the foliage, and they oftentimes will rebloom. Now it may be a few months when we're going into winter, it might be into spring, but they will rebloom indoors. Perfect, perfect. Okay, well, thank you so much. All You're right, welcome. Marilyn, thanks for your call this morning. When I went to see my sister in Virginia over the 4th of July, she has gorgeous, huge calla lily plants in her yard. I'm like, yeah. oh, come on. A lot of the callas are hardy to a zone 8 or 9. And if you live on the coast, you know, where those freezing temperatures are minimized. It's amazing what you can grow they in your become, yard. They're huge plants yeah, and the blooms are amazing. They are. The elephant's ears and just all sorts of she things. She had some in a vase on the dining room table. These are in my yard. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> okay, thank you. These <laughs> I are not go. in my yard. <laughs> I did actually try one year, but then I didn't. You have to you have to dig up the bulbs. Well, the it's winter. better if you do, but if you put four or five inches of mulch over the top with a little mm-hmm. bit of, say, steer manure in it, they will overwinter. Okay. But it's just one of those things. They become a hobby instead of something you just plant. And there are people that I've seen have planted them in very protected locations, and they weren't covered, mm-hmm. and they did rebloom. And it's, we talk about the uh, uh, callas and other semi-hardy things. You know, you've got the... Uh, the canna lilies that are semi-hardy that will overwinter and if we don't have a harsh winter and the gladiolas and a number of things like that. Right. But it's just, do you want to cover them? Because 
as you do these sorts of things, it becomes a hobby and it's almost like you've got a puppy or a kid. Oh, they're so gorgeous. They are. All right. We're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. Number to call. Phone lines are open 801-575-8255. Text us at 57500. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.